0: Welcome, everybody. You're listening to No Co Cinema here on WGM Plus. Your guide to Chicago cinema and cinema all around the world. I am your host, Tom Hush, joined always by my best friend and worst enemy, Connor Cornelius. Connor, how are you doing today? I'm doing
1: great. Uh, could be better. Yeah. As, uh, as you mentioned, you, we're not really... Yeah, we're not really friends, but we are friends. We're like... I would literally do
0: anything for you, yeah, but also
1: screw you. Yeah, if you ever ask okay. anything of me, I'll just spit at you or something. Okay well that's what we're <laughs> that's where we're at
0: that's where we're at with this episode of no Co cinema. so much cool stuff coming up on the show today. We talked to uh the guys from soft cage films it's a non for profit film production company that uh is making some really socially relevant socially challenging films and they're doing it in a beautiful, super professional way. And we talk to them a little bit about what they're doing, what it's like being a non-for-profit film company. And we also talked to filmmaker Nick Alonzo, who made a film called Chicago, which is a really a love letter, but also a Criticism, but just almost a, a diary, like a dark comedy. Yeah, about living a, in Chicago, exactly a dark comedy that kind of explores what it's like to be in Chicago every day. And, and- for, for those of you who live here, I think we get it. Yeah, I think we get it. So we talk to him about his film as well. And altogether, it's a packed house this show. Uh altogether, we also talk about our favorite films of the 21st century after the New York Times released their 25 top films of the 21st century so far. We talk about that in our after credits sequence. But for right now, let's get into our coming attractions. Segment where we talk a little bit about the business of cinema, uh, what's going on, what's new, what's happening in the cinema culture now Universal Studios reboot of The Mummy was supposed to set up the new Dark Universe label came out this last weekend and uh, that's a connected cinematic universe featuring legendary Universal monsters such as the creature from the Black Lagoon and Dracula however Universal's plans to join the ranks of Marvel and DC's cinematic universes may be in some jeopardy the Tom Cruise vehicle proved a critical failure with a paltry 17% rating on Rotten Tomatoes and it's also a box office bust raking in only 12 million dollars domestically on opening day Mm. by comparison dc's wonder woman pulled in 15 million this friday and that is in its second week 15 million so it's still on top of the box office however the Mummy has fared much better overseas with a gross of $56.8 million at the international box office. And according to Deadline.com, it's on track to hit $139 million overseas, making The Mummy Tom Cruise's biggest opening ever. Mm. This is all of the Mission Impossible movies. This is everything he's done. This will be his biggest opening opening if the movie stays on track to make that 139 million so the film is going to make its money back or at least most likely going to make its money back and the dark universe is going to trudge onward so the question is do movies even have to be good anymore Uh, do they have to even be successful connor i need you to
1: explain this to me Well, this is just a classic i I don't know it seems odd that the studios are it's also it seems creating a universe is such an isolating thing. You know right. they're going to be beholden to this for for at least the next ten years creating all these movies and then they're like I'm sure they'll do like an ensemble style Avengers thing where they all oh, get no brought doubt. together and have to fight like Kronos or something. But <laughs> um, if you remember back a couple years ago, they tried to actually kick off the Dark Universe with Dracula Untold. Right. Which was it was like a like a dark, gritty, not really a horror movie, basically like an action approach to Dracula. almost
0: exactly what they did here with the mummy, this kind of action movie
1: take on on a horror character. But look, we've got DC, that's already a relatively dark uh it's definitely the tone and the styling of the films are very dark, and then you've got Marvel, which is just on the lighthearted side. What I really wish that we could have seen from at least this installment of the Dark Universe, who knows if they'll go forward to you know improve this or anything, but they're horror films. they were the subject material that they're pulling from is horror, and these movies are not really scary. There are horror elements that are kind of informing this lukewarm action adventure with like this really dark uh, filter put over all of the shots <laughs> yeah. and and we've seen it a million times. Yeah,
0: it's uh I don't I just don't get why they felt the course of action was to make themselves indistinguishable from any other movie that has come out really like these these it's basically a superhero movie yeah um if you don't mind spoilers and i really don't care because i feel like you're probably if you haven't already seen the mummy you're probably not going to see it i mean tom cruise it's basically tom cruise torture porn where he (laughs) is continually killed and brought back to life and he is this uh supposed to be morally ambiguous but mostly just kind of a dick character (laughs) and no one's likable um I mean, you do have Russell Crowe as Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Mm -hmm. Hyde, which is kind of an interesting thing, and he's doing his prim and proper sort of deal, Uh, you know, Russell Crowe with an English accent, whatever.
1: And to pull kind of from your idea that it is a superhero movie, Russell Crowe really functions as like a a Nick Fury. Yeah. If you're
0: familiar with the Marvel Universe, he's supposed to be the connective tissue. They have this whole organization called the Prodigium or something like that. And then they pull him into like S.H.I.E.L.D. basically. Yeah, warehouse what i what i'm just tired of is this whole cinematic universe thing being applied to any property that they can it made sense with Marvel because, and the and DC as well, I suppose, because these are comic book properties. This is ostensibly what they were already this connected universe, and they just sought to adapt that mm-hmm. for the screen. That's so the next it, it,
1: logical step for them, right?
0: And it has you know pretense, but, but this then, is a
1: universe of reboots.
0: Yeah, a universe of reboots, and even with uh, you know 2014's Godzilla and the recent. Kong Skull Island, that is again, in of itself, another universe that they're trying to create. Oh, crossover, crossover. Godzilla King Kong. Yeah, exactly. And I guess it's cool and I liked Kong Skull Island. I thought that was a really fun movie, but like why couldn't it have just been that? I'm not really super interested in seeing um Godzilla necessarily fight King Kong. I don't care about these characters all that much, no, just make a monster
1: movie, yeah, and that's not what you're looking for in a monster movie. You want to watch them run around and smash each other up smash up a city, and then the humans have to deal with this like giant problem that they in one way or another have created and then you rebuild the city and then you do it again yeah. like it's, listen there's know. a there's a reason that this used to work, yeah. And rebooting it is not going to really provide any... You know, having it be two monsters at once destroying a city together. And they're like, wow, here are these two... These casts of two characters that basically did the same... Made the same mistakes. And now they're all just struggling to deal with their mistakes. Yeah. And that's
0: not to say that watching those old Godzilla sequels... You know, there's a million sequels aren't fun. But there is... I mean, they didn't take themselves so seriously. Like... Do now we, you know there's a government organization that's secretly tracking all of the musters yeah. in the world, and we didn't need that context. Used to be it Campier, matter. yeah, Campier, and it's fine to make a big dumb movie if you can do it well and understand what it is. Um, but my then- uh, my other big problem with this is that uh, there's just it just shows a lack of diversity. And with The Mummy, you picked the obvious choice. For, well, not even the obvious
1: choice, but a safe choice for a lead in Tom Cruise. Oh, yeah. He's no uh, stranger to physically demanding roles. Yeah, which is cool. And those Mission Impossible movies are really good. Those later ones are oh, still yeah.
0: really good. Ghost Protocol. I thought that was a great movie. Great movie. And, I have not um, seen the fifth. Yeah. It's uh definitely check it out check it out. And it shows that it's not like Tom Cruise isn't a bankable star. No. And he and, works hard. Yeah, he works hard. But it's just um clearly people didn't want to see him in the mummy. They wanted Brendan Fraser. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I think we speak for everybody when we say that we do too.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many times people have said, you know, but what about Brendan Frazier? Where's he gone? Like, I have they- to say,
1: I loved that first Mummy movie yeah. with Brendan Fraser. Oh, it's super fun. Yeah. I don't know if it holds up anymore. Haven't seen oh, it Oh, the CGI a while. is terrible. <laughs> yeah. It is like, it is beyond bad. Like, it is very obvious. But from the trailer that I've seen for The Mummy, uh, I saw Suicide Squad, which was easily my least favorite movie of the last, I don't know ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's this scene in the trailer for The Mummy where the the female mummy is like her arms are outstretched and she's just like screaming at the uh camera and it reminds me of just a scene in suicide squad and to go back to your idea that it's like a superhero film it's just like where is the ingenuity yeah where's the originality yeah
0: exactly if you're just pulling from everything else that's already out like i mean i think that's just their ploy it's just like well we don't have any superhero franchises what do we have oh we've got the wolfman like let's turn that into you know a superhero yeah or, you know, or the mummy. And it could have been really cool. Like, it's a cool property, but you just had to do something interesting with it, and they just elected not to.
1: Yeah, there are some psychological elements that you can get into the, the head of the character, like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, obviously, sure. and then the Wolfman having to, you know, transform into that. But there's just, like you said, there's a, just a lack of originality. And in. In a world where there are too many reboots already, creating a cinematic universe where it's tying all of these reboots together, it's just, it's, this is not a great start for the universe, that's for sure. Right. And, um, I'm just sick, I'm just sick of universes, really.
0: Um, and that's not to say that good things can't be done in universes. I would say that the Marvel films are, on the whole, generally pretty good. There have been some real standouts. Um, and, you know, I don't mind the universes, but, you can you can't invest constantly in this many different continuing storylines, you have
1: to have movies that just stand alone and are just that. Yeah, and even um, DC. it's With Wonder Woman, they're finally seeing some critical success. Obviously, they're raking it in at the box office, and mm-hmm. they finally seem to have found a stride that separates them from from Marvel. But also, I mean, I've been talking to a lot of people about this movie. They think it's better than most, if not all, of the Marvel films.
0: Really? Yeah. That's very interesting. Well, you know, I think that's a,
1: a, fair, a fair shake to shake them you know and, with, and if we all remember DC had an incredible start to you know adapting their some of their more popular uh, uh property with the dark Knight yeah and that and that wasn't even
0: in a universe no it was it like it it was a trilogy which are you know commonplace in 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 film and uh you know and it worked well and it had a beginning a middle and an end mm-hmm. and the question is here is that if you never stop telling the story, Where's the satisfaction, yeah, if everything's constantly looking forward, if everything you do is just only a lead up to the next thing, where's the payoff yeah. you know, and with the Marvel Universe, they're expecting the big payoff to come in this in this next round of Avenger's movies, split into two parts um but really, if
1: you just know that there's gonna be more, what else do you have? I get the idea, the kind of the philosophy behind. It's not about the destination; it's about the journey. I suppose so, but, but every, you have to have some payoff. It, well, every film has a destination. You know, it's just like here is the start, and then then that ends, and then it just keeps going. Exactly. Like, where is the when you are taking on something as huge as a the universe? There needs to be some sort of overarching thematic. Closure, some sort of cathartic thing that happens, and you haven't seen that in the Marvel movies. Yeah. They're just like, oh, we got beat up, but we pick ourselves back up, and here we go. Here on to the next vehicle. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Connor, you you you've said it all. You've
0: said it all. <laughs> That's why I'm here. So I, I would say uh lay off the universes, People. everybody. You know, just give give us a break. Give us some more standalone films that just work in of themselves. Give us some good characters. Give us diverse characters. Give us perspectives that we don't frequently get to see. And actually, that's what we are going to be talking about with the guys from Soft Cage Films. In our feature presentation segment, uh, we're going to be talking about the diversity of perspectives, diversity of character, diversity of setting, uh, all with them. And also, we're going to be talking about that stuff with Mr. Nick Alonzo, not part of Soft Cage, but a filmmaker in his own right and a good friend of the Chicago film community. That's all coming up next here on No NoCo Cinema on WGM+. All right, everybody. You are back listening to NoCo Cinema here on WGN Plus. We are your guide to cinema here in Chicago and all around the world. I am your host, Tom Hush, and joining me again, as always and forever, Connor Cornelius. Oh, thank you, Tom. It was my heart to hear that. I'm glad. (laughs) I'm glad to have you back because that break, yeah, permanent guest. That break could have killed you, but it didn't. I could have murdered
1: you in between the break there. And you notice how I like just seeing... sort of like become half opaque some, or uh, half like coalescent yeah. at some point? I can it, see slightly through you. It's obscured on the other side. It's but... weird. And then I just sort of, my corporeal form just sort of <laughs> congeals back when we get back and record. It yeah. Doesn't, that doesn't make any sense to me. but No, we'll investigate
0: that. We'll investigate that among other and things. And more. <laughs> and more here on NoCo Cinema. Uh, today, for our feature presentation, we are so lucky to be joined by by a full house here of characters. You may have heard them laughing in the background. Uh, we're going to welcome here uh, Mr. David Holcomb. Thank you. A- Adam Blaskowitz. And Nick Alonzo. Hello. And they are all here to talk a little bit about cinema with us. Now, David and Adam, you guys are from Soft Cage Films and yes, sir. Uh, Soft Cage Films, it's a fantastic a, a studio of a film production company. Yeah, a film production nonprofit. All right. That's, and that's important. You know, Soft Cage Films is a nonprofit film production company that is dedicated to engaging the public through the production and promotion of socially relevant films that use experimental techniques and challenge traditional notions of society and to explore psychological truths. That's some heady stuff, guys. Yeah, man. Those are key words. keywords. Keywords, <laughs> yeah. Put that in on Google. And not so, only are they key, but they're also buzz
2: buzzwords. <laughs> that's the term I was looking for.
0: Yeah. So if you could just tell us in your own words what that all means, you know, there's a lot of big words in there. Psychological
2: truths, challenging traditional notions of society. Explain that a little bit. Well, we tried to keep it broad so that it can encompass a lot. But we're basically trying to start the revolution. There you go.
0: I like that starting yeah.
2: the revolution here in Chicago. And
0: when did you guys form? Five years ago, this August. Oh wow! Yeah, so almost almost your fifth birthday. Yep. yep. Congratulations! Thank you. And you guys have quite a body of work uh, to talk about. Um, we've you've got. A full feature, Graffito. You've got a an anthology of of these socially relevant films, Pilgrim, Breaking, and we're going to get into. Well, we actually
2: have another feature film we did first before Graffito, called Yellow, which is now available under the working title of City of Lust. Ooh! So you can find that on Amazon, um, Netflix, DVD, and I think it's on YouTube now. Mm -hmm. It's got like nine hundred thousand. Views, you guys. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. There you go.
1: Approaching that all important 1 million.
2: Yeah, then our lives change forever. Yes. yes. <laughs> then you start raking in that
1: YouTube money. We're on and, Easy Street. And that was interesting to me. That's on international distribution through Maxim Media. Yeah. Right? How was, uh, just for people who aren't really familiar with that process, getting that set up, maybe just a quick.
2: Oh, man. I don't even know. Because we just shot the film and tried to be open about the process and put out new photos like every day. Um, And then as soon as we finished shooting, before it was even uh, um, completely edited, they contacted me about distribution. So I don't know the process, really. I think we just fell into it. That's awesome. Yeah. But I think we were on their radar because I looked through their catalog before we started the conversation, and they represented a lot of Chicago filmmakers, so I kind of reached out to them to kind of gauge their experience, and it was a pretty good one, so we thought it was legit, and we just took the jump.
0: Awesome. Now, are th- are either of you originally from Chicago? No? No. I'm from Northwest Indiana, so... North... Okay. Not so not, not too far, Midwestern guy. And how about yourself, David? Atlanta. Atlanta? Yeah. So how did you wind up here
2: in the second city? I went to school in Madison, Wisconsin for college, and then... Um I was there for a couple of years doing uh, theater, and then obviously I had to move to Chicago, the theater capital of the world. True. Did you go to
1: Madison? Mm-hmm. Oh I did. I did too. Oh,
2: oh, really? What do yep. you know? Cool, man. What year did you graduate? 2015. Oh, okay. I was 2007. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so I'm we're like,
1: like we're like neighbors, basically. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> and Adam, how about yourself? What I went brought to you to Columbia? Here? Columbia. Uh, okay. Yeah, for film,
0: um, mainly documentary concentration. Okay. What about documentary filmmaking? was interesting to you
3: um well i think when i was taking film classes i took uh, a documentary and social change class early on and just had like a really inspiring teacher um but yeah i'm interested in like people telling their own stories and kind of like uplifting um just seeing the impact that those some of those stories can have um and yeah so i think that's something like we've been trying to do too with a lot of our uh our shorts um you know there's there's definitely some weight
0: to them mm-hmm. and so yeah so you feel like you've got you took that documentary idea of telling the stories of you know, telling stories untold, and you've applied it here to narrative film. Right. And, Adam, you are uh, director of photography on two of these shorts? Yes. Three? Okay. Yeah, and then uh, Yellow, City of Lust. Okay, and you one. did... Mm-hmm. Um, what was it like working on these films? You know, it's a little bit... Each one's a little bit different, but, you know, going from City of Lust, which is horror, I feel mm-hmm. like is the best way to describe it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, going from horror to these more uh, socially focused kind of dramas... Um And, David, you directed all of these. Yeah. Um, What was it like moving from the horror of City of Lust to stuff like your film Pilgrim, uh, which tells the story of a taxi driver who is a Muslim immigrant, and also Breaking, uh, which follows a first-generation Polish-American. So <laughs> yeah. what was that? How was I it guess,
2: getting in there? Yeah, they wouldn't seem to have much in common, but I think we started off with horror because... Obviously, it's it's easy to make a, a decent horror film for very little money, um, but also that it, it does kind of lend itself to having a, a, a psychological or even socially relevant um, sort of theme that run through these things because they sort of uh, explore if if they're done right, they explore these like fears that we have on like a universal level. So, I think there's horror elements. Um, there's there's definitely certain shots moments and and like um general moods in the shorts that uh have you know a horror element to them. Uh, even though they're more grounded, I, I think that they share that that common theme of exploring something from a particular character's point of view rather than being sort of like the uh omnipresent, you know, eye of God and being more observational. We really want to put people In the experience of the protagonist, that's, I think, what they have in common.
1: I want to come back to that uh, idea of kind of using the eye of God approach from especially behind the camera. But um, uh, specifically about Pilgrim, you talked about sort of having grounded horror moments kind of informing the character's story. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, w- would that be more like the horror of reality than kind of because I-, I do notice a little bit of a similarity between uh, Taxi Driver and mm-hmm. Pilgrim because because uh, oh, yeah. it's a bedenimed uh, Muslim <laughs> Muslim immigrant. Is that correct? And <laughs> the, the and he, Yes. Yeah, I love that word. Yeah. I, gotta say, I was reading that. That's awesome. So it's just the horrors of reality, which were very interesting to you. And then yeah. uh, the other thing that strikes me about your movies is how very Chicago they are. Cool. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's what we uh, kind of intended when we went into this was um, Adam and I had worked on a few things before this company. And we were always frustrated by um, people either trying to mimic the work that's done on the coasts or they would have a little success here and flee to the coasts immediately. And we were just sort of confused by that because we feel like everything that's happening – uh, in the world is sort of hyper concentrated in Chicago. This is like the place to be, and the stuff that 's happening here is is like you know a a more concentrated form of what 's happening socially and um, culturally on a on a broader scale and this is we should be very proud of what 's going on here artistically and yeah. embrace that and sort of try to create our own identity that's separate. And that
0: identity really comes through, especially in um, the look of the films. And I have to say, right now, this is some of the best-looking filmmaking I've seen out of the kind of Chicago indie scene. Like, really, these shots are beautiful, Damn. they're well-framed, and credit credit to you, the director, David, for uh, getting these performances and cool. you know, having the shots like this, and also, Adam, for these beautiful techniques um i really in pilgrim as we were talking about uh there's some scenes where you're following the main character around and uh the kind of neon glow on his face and you feel that um instead of the eye of god it's you really do get into the character uh adam if you could talk a little bit about what your technique is um shooting these films and how do you achieve that polished really professional look Oh, wow. I I
3: I don't mean to gush either. but it really does look fantastic. Yeah, it's just very wow. artful. Well, we typically have like very small crews um but really like Dave has a really good vision so um I think what I'm really concerned about is like just making sure that everything's motivated so not having shots that are just like unmotivated camera movement if it's not necessary it doesn't serve the story. Um, and I think going back to, like, Yellow, that was, like, my first, like, actual, like, real project shooting. And I was just like, oh, I want to play with, like, all the things, like, and do the slides <laughs> and do the... And they weren't really motivated, but it was kind of, like, amped up. Like, it was supposed to be kind of over the top. Um, and I think that with some of this, uh, like, kind of the films that I'm drawn to are kind of, like, a slower, drawn-out pace, um, something, you know, one-shot scenes, um, something that, you know, you can, like, kind of take in more of the acting and, and not have a ton of cuts. And I know each project's a little different, but with uh, with Pilgrim, we were shooting outside, exterior nights mostly. Um, so with the camera we are using, we just kind of, like not being super mobile having a lot of tripod having a lot of um shots
0: uh camera mounts uh on the car um and then some glide cam stuff. Yeah, and it never really felt um unfocused or anything like that like, as you were saying with uh no unmotivated shots. It was almost like you you were just going with the character and um there it's I it's almost indescribable because it's it's you don't even notice until the, until you're, you've already got past it, you're like, "Wait a second! We just got through this whole scene, and it felt really natural, and oh, it felt cool. like everything was." It, you're too engrossed in the story to notice the edits and all this sort of stuff until it's already passed. And I feel like that's the the best quality of it. Wow, is that you can just get engrossed in the story. Um, speaking of stories, where did these ideas come from for these socially uh,
2: motivated films? Um, I think, like Adam said, we uh, we're really into documentaries, and there's like this power. Uh, a lot of the documentaries we like are are, are about like seemingly normal people or um, like sort of natural uh, occurring things. They're not heightened. They're not you know they're not superheroes. But you you follow someone long enough, and uh, I think you can empathize and you can identify with them, and they don't have to be. A rock star or a politician on a big scale so that seemed like what we wanted to explore with our films um, narratively in terms of the shorts though um and so graffito and in these three films in this short anthology um those were ideas that were sort of um, I don't know the genesis of them, but they were written by um, two other members of Soft Cage Films who aren't here, Heather Mingo and John Sutton. Um, and so we just wanted to explore the, the life of these, these single characters rather than you know, larger ensembles so that we could really explore their experience as it relates to um, the you know, culture of living in Chicago.
0: That's fantastic. And that culture really, really, really does come through. Cool. Um, We're going to take a little break here. Just uh, don't go anywhere. Everybody stay exactly where you are. I see you moving. Yeah. Nope. Stop. Cut it out. (laughs) We're just going to take a little break, and then we'll be right back with some more uh, with Soft Cage Films. And we're also going to talk to Nick. I know we got to get you in here because I really want to talk about uh, this upcoming double feature that um, these guys are doing with our friends over at Cinema Obscura. So stick around. It's NoCo Cinema here on WGN+. Here on NoCo Cinema WGM Plus, your guide to Chicago cinema and cinema all around the world. I am your host Tom Hush, joined as always by my co-host Connor Cornelius. Thank you, Tom. You're welcome. And we're back and we're back. Put it on. Put it on the record. We came back and we made it out alive. <laughs> uh, today we are talking with Soft Cage Films, um, specifically Mr. David Holcomb and Adam Laskiewicz. I I feel like I butchered it that again. Was, that was close enough. Uh <laughs> and feel free to throw something at me. Um but they're from Soft Cage Films and also Nick Alonzo, who is uh who made a film called Shit Cago. And I don't mind that I'm saying that. We're not live. Bleeping yeah. forthcoming. Bleep maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But <laughs> he made a film
2: bleed cago. Yeah,
0: <laughs> bleep cago. Uh he made a film called Shit Cago and he's going they're going to be showing uh a film from Soft Cage called Graffito and Chicago together uh, with our friends over at uh, Cinema Obscura. But uh, just really quick, let's talk a little bit about Soft Cage as an entity because it is this non-for-profit thing. And uh, it's true that you guys are supported by a lot of different companies, correct? Yeah. And I saw on your website people like Lagunitas yeah. are supporting. How did you build that support base and where did that all come from?
2: Uh, just reaching out. I mean, Lagunitas is especially generous with their support for nonprofits. They have uh, a new grant that they're coming out with this year. Um, but otherwise they just donate cases and cases of beer to our fundraisers. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So that's great. But yeah, in general, it's like any of these local companies, they, they really want to support, um, local art. And so they donate all kinds of stuff to us, which we sell off for money to make our movies.
0: Nice. So, with the non-for-profit thing, that just means that all the money you make goes back into making the films. There is no profit coming off of it. It's all about the cycle. That's for sure. How do you feel that fits in this, you know, filmmaking business? You know, instead of trying to make money off of it, it's all about the art here. How, you know, how do you feel that fits in this new world of cinema?
2: Well, we don't have anyone. to, you know, hold us accountable. We don't have, uh, you know, sponsorship. There's no big business involved. So we are responsible um, for all of our own decisions and ideas. And it's just complete freedom, you know, of expression. And with the nonprofit, we don't have to justify an idea in terms of its profitability or if the market is going to respond to it and stuff like that. So... I think it was the best way for us to uh, get the projects made that we're interested in.
0: So, working as this kind of a collective, there's a lot of people involved in Soft Cage. How do you feel it um, it works for you guys as a creative entity, having uh, this many people working together to make you know cinema? It's it does it feel like a big you know does it feel like Hollywood or does it feel like something
2: else? Um. Well. We always insisted on having fun. I've been on a lot of sets where you can just slice the tension with a knife, you know, and there's just, it always feels silly to me, you know, if you want to have a miserable job and make money, you can, but if you're going to make films, it should be fun. Yeah. How is it for you, Adam? I
3: I completely agree. I met Dave on a short film that he was directing, uh, Death of a Cyber Salesman, and I was just like, a friend was like, hey, uh, can you PA or we need, need extra help? and uh like the first i mean i just spent like an afternoon with him and i was like no this is a lot of fun and i i wasn't used to having fun on set i was used (laughs) to like it being a pain and not seeing like anything come of it I, i worked with a lot of um i don't know it's just filmmaking's you know a tough uh long process and um i didn't really have fun on set before working with him and so um yeah i think you know, keeping the crews smaller if it's challenging um and I think as we we've made more films, we understand like the need of having uh, specialized like departments but um but yeah, we're just like super loose, and everyone has fun, and I think that's like why a lot of the the actors and a lot of the talent come back um and wanna work with us is because it's just it's a fun.
4: It's a good place.
2: Yeah, we're trying to grow our ability to pay artists, but right now, you know, none of us get paid and all the money we raise goes right into the films. So, I feel like we at least owe it to people to be a positive experience and that something comes of it, like the films get finished and that the food is on point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um
1: talking about working with a small kind of a loyal crew, uh I noticed on your first film Yellow City of Lust you were uh, billed as a writer as well yeah um, and then going forward you worked with it seems pretty consistent with uh, Heather Mingo and John Sutton yeah uh, what is it like interfacing with two other people who are writing the scripts for the story and then obviously filmmaking is just a bunch of tiny moving parts that all have to work together
2: yeah and so with a smaller crew I imagine it brings its own challenges with that for sure I feel like a lot of people are kind of playing double triple duty you know on set it's one of those things where if you just see something you know just jump in there rather than it's not my job which is fun um it's really stressful but it is something we made with our own two hands and that's kind of been um sort of our aesthetic this diy aesthetic um that we try to embrace and not hide um but yeah working with two other writers is somewhat of a relief because i don't have to wait until the film's finished to get any kind of like um you know, if it's, if it's all coming from me I don't know if it works for months but if I get a script from them I'm like okay this works that process is in place and then we can move on to the next process but they're great about kind of handing over the script and um, being a resource on set um, or behind the scenes but letting me really run with it and completely interpret things in my own way so that it's not tied to the you know written word
0: yeah because with the collaborative effort, I imagine it 's got to be hard sometimes it, as much fun as you guys are having on set, and I absolutely believe that from the the product here from seeing these films is made with a lot of love and a lot of um, a lot of trust and a lot of compassion but it 's got to be hard to everybody being an artist in their own way because film is a collaboration of so many different arts it 's got to be hard to kind of Put the trust in someone else. Be like, okay, you know, you're saying to Adam, you're like, I trust that you are going to make this shot look amazing. Yeah. And I trust that you are going to bring what's in here in my head and put it on the screen. And the same thing goes for the writing to you, David. You know, what's going to how's it going to translate? So are there are there conflicts?
2: Oh yeah! Oh my god! (laughs) Like especially (laughs) last year, I mean, there was a ton of conflict. But it's between movies, you know. It's it's figuring out how, like, it's growing pains. Um, There's a lot of people on our board that have worked for bigger organizations, and so I kind of have to trust that we're doing things, even though we're trying to do it a new way. um, You know, everything we're going through is just typical of a company that's growing like we are and trying to find. our place in that organization without it feeling stifling or corporate or whatever. But um, yeah, when it comes to collaborating, I feel like my job is less getting my ideas translated, you know, to screen like a photocopy and it's more about taking something that like Adam's framed up and realizing that that's, that's a better version of what I had in my head and then kind of re-editing the entire film, you know, on the spot to fit that new perspective. And so I just got to believe that, you know, my job isn't really to, to have all the best ideas, but to identify the best idea and say, you know, now we're going with that direction and follow that where it leads us. The mark of a great director. (laughs) I would
0: say. I would say.
2: And also actors are
1: pawns. (laughs) Get back to work. Yeah, those actors, man. Such divas, such divas. So, obviously, you guys, I mean, I think we're having fun here. I don't know. I can only speak for myself. But uh, as much fun as you guys must be having on set, you guys deal with pretty serious subject matter and uh, Adam mentioned that you were very interested in documentary filmmaking and all of that. Uh, would you say that the uh, that your main interest is in sort of that like dramatic uh, telling
2: the story of a single character? Uh, how did that get informed, I suppose? I think probably budgets. It's mm, hard to make sure, a huge, yeah. big ensemble film like a Robert Altman thing on a limited budget, so our goal is definitely to move towards ensemble work, and um, like Adam said, I'm he's kind of pushed me to be more patient in my film making. Um, you'll see, especially with from, from like Graffito to Pilgrim, a huge difference. I was doing the camera work on Graffito. My style is a lot different than Adam's. His is more disciplined, uh, more thoughtful, and I want to move towards that. Um, however, on a film like Pilgrim especially, it's just like, it can be it can be controlled chaos on set. We don't have permits. We don't have control over the traffic. We're trying to like coordinate 10 different vehicles pulling up to a bar, you know, in the middle of, I think they were like on their Stanley Cup run. Yeah. Okay. The Black Oh, Hot, God. Outside that bar. So a lot of those like drunk guys smoking cigarettes, looking right into the lens, just got to go a, with it. Yeah. Dealing
1: with a live city. Yeah, for <laughs> yeah. sure. That was a great
3: moment. though. So. like, I love- I love it too. There's
2: uh You can't direct that.
3: No. The no. actor <laughs> kicks over. Uh, oh, okay. Someone had left like a cup, I think of water like on the street and- the uh, the guy goes to pick it up and our actor just kicks it right out of his, like, right before, as <laughs> into he's, into his face. and the guy was yeah. just like, oh my he God. just kind of, like, shrugged it off.
0: He
3: just, like, it. walked back into the bar. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. There you go. Things that you cannot plan for on the set. I mean, that's the beauty of shooting in Chicago. You know, no, I like that. No permits, no problem. Yeah.
2: Um, well, problems, but problems. Just try to embrace stuff as it gets thrown at us. You know, I find that, like, I kind of learned that, on Graffito, because making Graffito was sort of a reaction to our experience on Yellow, which was also a great experience. But we were so focused on things like continuity and um, making things like really controlled. And so on Graffito, it was like, let's just embrace the chaos and anything that gets thrown at us. Try to try to figure out what the, you know the universe is trying to tell us, mm-hmm. and then maybe go in that direction rather than um, trying to like cut it out of the film or frame it in a way where it doesn't appear because that wasn't what I had in mind
0: Yeah, and Graffito is of that new wave tradition. Um, Films, I I got a lot of Breathless, especially, and I love Breathless, and I I felt like that came through. 400 blows, anything by basically Godard and Truffaut, and I want to bring uh, Chicago into this. Get on over here, Nick. You've been patient for long enough, because Graffito and uh, Nick Alonzo's film, Chicago, are going to be playing at Cinema Obscura. You may remember, we did a a fantastic interview John davies john davies of cinema obscura so uh good to know that the community is happening and it's it's so alive um nick if you could talk a little bit about chicago and what that's all about can i
2: just say how i first came across chicago i was at at cinema obscura he was uh, nick was screening chicago and i was sitting there watching it and like i just kept getting chills watching this film and i'm like there are, like, scenes that have direct parallels to Graffito, and we've never met. Right. It was just, like, melting my brain, yeah. and so I had to meet this guy.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's hear it. I
2: appreciate
4: that, too. Um, so, Chicago is just a uh, black-and-white day-in-the-life of Chicagoan. Uh, the main character doesn't really have any lines. Um, throughout the film, he just runs into a lot of random characters. It's about, like, 65 minutes uh, and i don't know i just wanted to make something really simple um and i wanted to base a lot of the characters that uh people that i've met on the streets in chicago um and yeah it's just it's really weird because sometimes when i show the film to someone they're like really thrown off by some of the characters cuz they're like um like for example there's a scene where um like a homeless guy's talking to the main character and like calling him like I don't want to say the word, but... Um, <laughs> some uh, naughty uh, words. Yeah, like um, like a slur word for, like, you know, um, homosexuals. or oh, okay, yeah, right, yeah. 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 And, like, I felt very uncomfortable with putting that in the film, and even the actor, well, like, my friend who was the character, uh, he felt very awkward about it, but, like, that actually happened to me, and I just wanted to take everything that's happened to me in the city that, like, I thought was kind of weird and, like, interesting and sort of funny, and, like, for some parts... Um, And putting it in a film and just like trying to make people laugh. And it's actually surprising that a lot of people laugh during a lot of other scenes. Um, Like there's a scene where um, a guy's watching porn at a library. uh, (laughs) And um, what's great is that I actually took audio from an actual like video.
0: Oh my God. (laughs)
4: But um, it's happened. And like um, I know a lot of people um, have seen the film in like um, different states. Um, I have a friend that's from India and he watched it and he kind of he he related to it in a way where like there's a lot of weird stuff in every other place in the world um and like i thought that was great that he told me that because um i when i was making the film i was just like afraid like oh only like people from chicago will get it but i feel like other people that are from different places like actually like can relate to it um
0: yeah i think it i think um from the i was watching the trailer for chicago and then watching it kind of like Concurrently with yeah. Graffito um, It was I mean I get what you're saying David Where it's just like the parallels are there And I think they both represent Chicago In a really in a really Manic sort of interesting odd way That I think a lot of people don't think About Chicago that way Anymore at least on a grand scale Yeah
4: no I agree and like um, Like there's some Films that I see that are shot in Chicago and it's always Like uh, I don't know like love stories or like yeah. stuff that's like I'm not saying who cares other, yeah exactly <laughs> and like I think what I'm trying to do and like uh, what David's doing too is just like we're trying to show like a different perspective of the city you know like our own perspective and like someone who's lived here yeah and you, exactly. you're you from yeah here. I'm, I'm from I'm born and raised here and like um, when I was trying to think of the idea for Chicago, I was like, you know, I really wanted to be, like, honest, you know? I don't want to, like, BS and, like, I don't want to really, like, tell this, like, elaborate story, like a coming-of-age story, because, like, a lot of people do that, like, as their sure. first films. And, like, I kind of wanted, like, make the anti-coming-of-age coming of st- uh, story. Um, and, like, around the time when I was making the film, um, I became a dad. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, so it was, like, really, like, odd, because, like... I'm making this, like, really weird film, and I'm like, oh, man, my kid's going to see this, like, in the future. I wonder he's going to react to it. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's crazy that, um, like, I was able to make it um, in the first place, because some people that I know that had kids, you know, like, they, uh, like, thought, like, oh, I can't really do what I want to do. I got to go to school. I got to do that. And at first, when I found out I was going to be a dad, I was just like, oh, well, I'll put filmmaking on the side. I'll... Um, get a job, figure out stuff, and then, like, after a year after he was born, I was just like, I gotta do this, like, I'm not gonna sit around and just say, like, oh, I wanna be a filmmaker, but I don't have the money, and I was just like, like, you know, screw it, I'm just gonna just do it, you know? And I just think that's the thing about, like, when people are stuck about filmmaking, they're just trying to think, like, oh, um... Like, what's your advice? Like, how do you make films? And like, I got like an email from a friend, and I was just like, just do it. Like, just do it, you know, make you know, it, like it.
2: And it's like such a vague like advice tip, but just, just it's realistic. You know, you can't just maybe sit you notice this. Like, once you start the process, the momentum starts to pick up, and yeah. then it's not such heavy lifting by yeah. one and person. And like,
4: there was like, I'll, I'll say one obstacle with Chicago is that uh, my main character, the, the main guy, he got arrested and was on house arrest for like four months and we had like at least like like three weeks more of filming or something like that. And like and there was even more obstacles after when we finished filming, but like that was like the first one and like I was just like, what the hell? Like what am I gonna do? <laughs> yeah. And I just like like and don't get me wrong, I was like super pissed off. Like sure. I sure. you know, I didn't like I could have just been like, you know, screw it, I won't make the film or I'll just redo the whole film. I don't know. But uh, like I think if you're patient and just you kinda like stick to it and you're just you know, I'm like I'm not religious or anything, so I didn't like go to religion. I was just like uh I got a job, so yeah. that was one thing. Um and then after when we started filming again, um well, there was a. I got an email from CTA that was like, a, actually was funny about like permits. Um, I was shooting on the CTA, and I guess yeah, the trailer got somewhere. Like, um, it was shared by people of the CTA, which is like a stupid oh. Facebook. yeah, and like half the comments were like, "Oh, this looks interesting and cool," and, and like the other comments were like, "This is stupid. This is artsy fartsy, hipster <laughs> <certain> douchebag." <laughs> like a lot of like stupid stuff, but it was cool to get like free publicity, basically. Yeah. Um, but I think someone complained it, uh, com- made a complaint to CTA. And like I got an email just saying like, "Oh, you're not supposed to shoot on here."
0: Yeah, um, I, I used to. I used to get when I was in a college studying broadcast. We were so told not to shoot on the CTA. Yeah, yeah. but it's like it's iconic, you know. Yeah, if you're gonna yeah. make a movie yeah. about Chicago, you gotta have the CTA and, on it. And
4: if you're like holding traffic and like telling people you like stopping people from getting on the train, like I can understand how that's problematic. Yeah, but, like I was just shooting just like in the open, you know. Like sure. people, like people were looking at the camera and like I. Had to figure out like i did like a blur kind of thing yeah it's <laughs> like cheesy stuff but uh yeah i don't know it's uh like we, there was like a few obstacles in the film, and like I, I think every time when I came across a problem, I just thought like, okay, I have to finish it because if I don't finish it, then I can't tell this great story
1: about how I did finish it. Right, yeah. right. Nick. Hearing <laughs> you describe this movie, it just sounds like a microcosm of living in Chicago yeah, for yeah. some people. Yeah, yeah. I'm,
4: um, I'm really, uh, I, I'm a huge fan of Jim Jarmusch. Um, and, oh, yeah. And I when I screened uh, Chicago a while back at Cinema Obscura, I screened it with um, Permanent Vacation, which is this, like, oh yeah, yeah. and. Um, and I think when I, because when I had the idea for Chicago, I was just thinking like, okay, like, how do I do this? Um, I'm just going to watch films from like filmmakers I like. And I watched that film and then Richard Linklater's first film before Slacker. Um, I just think I just started watching just scenes from both of like favorite filmmakers of mine and just like, okay, they did it this way. So I'm going to kind of do it the same way, just like tweak it a little bit and just, um, and like I think with every film that I like try to do, I try to figure out like the approach to it because sometimes I just like kind of self doubt myself like okay mm-hmm. can I actually do this? And like the film I'm working on now, I just watched um, uh, Dead Man um, by Jim Jarmusch, and then um, I don't know if you guys watch Alex Ross Perry's films. Uh, he has a listen film up, called. Philip, and yeah, uh, Impalex was the film that oh. I watched, and like that's a very Bizarre film and it's based on um, Gravity's Rainbow by oh uh, by uh, Thomas Pynchon yeah yeah yeah, it's a very bizarre film but like the fact that he shot in his backyard I was just like I you know I I feel content that I could do this right
0: and I I think what uh, a common theme between all Chicago filmmakers and especially you guys is this idea of um kind of no excuses get it done Uh, Chicago filmmaking has this unpretentious uh, work ethic. This it's the whole idea of the city of broad shoulders, the city of hard work, and it comes through in the cinema, and it comes through in all your films. Um, especially, I will I just want to mention and no uh, ego breaking, too. Yeah, no ego. I mean,
2: Nick's a director. But he's gonna be working as a PA on my next exactly. film, and then I'm I, I PA for other people all the exactly. time. It's not like I've got to be in charge all the time. Yeah,
0: this look. isn't Hollywood. This yeah. is where everybody's working together yeah. to make a single thing. Yeah, and um, I think that's none more evident in uh, than in Break. Cool. Uh, the story of the you know first generation Polish American woman, who's you know she's a housekeeper, she's a mother, she's a nanny. It's she's all these things, and it's all about hard work and uh, how that pushes you to your limit. Um, do you do you guys ever identify with that? Like getting pushed to the limit and oh, like just course. wanting to just break down on these things?
2: Yeah, there there are times where it f- seems impossible, and then you know. That that little pressure release valve will just give us a little bit more juice to keep going. But um, that's kind of where the, the fun comes in. You know, if it's not fun, it wouldn't be worth it. And I've dropped off the projects that weren't fun and they didn't seem important because you've got to have one or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's the kind of stuff I think that keeps us going is that the stories seem important and we know that we're – we're talking about real people's experience, so we've got to do it justice. And then we've, again, we've got to treat people, you know, on set as collaborators, not just minions. So <laughs>
0: that helps. And that's, I think that's uh, the best way for it to be put uh we're gonna we're gonna cut it off there i wish we could, we could have you guys on here for days yeah honestly <laughs> we could but uh if you guys want to stick around we're gonna do our little after credit sequence sound good cool yeah. all right we want to talk uh, more cinema here with nick alonzo <laughs> david holcomb and adam blaskowitz uh here on no coast cinema the after credit sequence is coming up next stick around
1: if you're enjoying the show so far why don't you go over to facebook.com slash noco cinema podcast give us a like and uh, there you'll be able to find all of the episodes that we've recorded so far every monday
0: Welcome back everybody. You are listening to No Co Cinema here on WGM Plus. We are your guide to cinema in Chicago and all around the world. I am your host Tom Hush, joined as always by my co-host Connor Cornelius. Hello, Tom. Hello Glad to be back. <laughs> We're getting to the slap happy portion of the show. We've just been having a fantastic conversation with uh, the guys from Soft Cage Films and also Nick Alonzo, who is not part of Soft Cage Films but is a part of this loving film community. Here in Chicago. Thank you guys so much again for coming on the show. Um, Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's great talking. Absolutely. Uh, great talking about your films and uh, your projects and everything that's coming up. Um, just a reminder to everybody Graffito and Chicago uh, will be playing at Cinema Obscura. Uh, when is that coming up? At the 19th. 19th, yeah, Monday yeah. night. Monday night on the 19th of at June. Township. Township right. that's over on uh, California. Yeah, right near Milwaukee. There, right by. Okay, perfect. So if you haven't been to Cinema Obscura yet, it's head free. on over there. Yeah, it's totally free. There's <laughs> booze there.
2: Yeah, it's yeah. a, bar. <laughs> it's a, it's a, a like, bar. It's
0: a bar. There's a burger
4: <laughs> meal too. So that's there, even. Oh yeah, there's wow. a special.
0: Yeah, a special. So get yourself a burger, get yourself a beer, and sit down and watch some great Chicago cinema. Brighten up your Monday night. Brighten it up. But right now we're gonna get into our after credit sequence. This is where we talk about just kind of missing things in the film universe that we're interested in, stuff that we love about film or directors or anything of that nature and I want to talk a little bit about this new list that the New York Times came out with. It's their 25 best films of the 21st century, which is you know, clearly not over won't be over for another, I don't know, 900
1: something years But it's good the New York Times is making its mind up early, I think (laughs) So so this is their idea of what is the best so
0: far up to this point. Um, Who contributed to this list? I mean, this is all their uh, – I believe it's most of their critics. I mean, A.O. Scott. Um, just their chief,
2: staff. Okay.
0: Yeah, just their staff. Uh, uh, Manola, Manola Dargus. Dargus. Yeah. Like. Manola dargas It's, it's – um, a, a, a few people. It's actually, You know, it is actually just A.O. Scott and Manola um kind of trading off what they think is uh, – their thoughts on what they think is the best. Um, and we're just going to kind of – I don't think it's in from a particular ranking. I think they just chose 25 films uh, in no particular 25 order. 25
2: number one films. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, 25 great films. It's I think 25-way tie for first place. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, with the, a lot of the films they've chosen, it would be hard – you'd be hard-pressed to put one – Um, over the other. There's a lot of really great films that you would like for any number of reasons. So we're just going to kind of go down the list a little bit, talk about what's in here, talk about what was left out um, because there was some stuff that has been left out. I think we um, already came up with one. Yeah, we're going to get into some controversy here. Some controversy. (laughs) But, uh, But let's start out with their first one on the list, which is I think an easy choice for this, which is uh, There Will Be Blood by uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, Get released in 2007, Oscar-winning performance from Daniel Day-Lewis. Um, and frankly, one of, I would say my top film of the, uh, the first decade of this century.
2: Um, and it's funny. I think it's funny. It is funny. It does have a lot of,
0: a lot of (laughs) humor here. So many quotes. So let's talk a little bit about our experiences with this film. We've all seen there will be blood.
1: Yes. Mm
2: -hmm. Yep. Yeah.
0: All right. So. Thoughts, you know. When did you first watch it, Nick? Um, What's actually funny? um, My son, his name is Eli, and I named him after Eli.
4: Yes. Oh, Oh, whoa. uh, Yeah. My girlfriend thought it was um, Elijah for like um, like a Bible character, but I was like, nah. (laughs) But that's funny funny,
2: because that opening scene where he falls down in the well and breaks his leg, I just when I was watching that, I just felt like that was biblical. Yeah. Such a like iconic set of images and the story seemed something that was just, like, man's eternal struggle mm-hmm. with the cosmos, so that's yeah, a good choice. Um,
4: but yeah, no, There Will Be Blood, um, I, I think I watched it maybe in high school, um, I think it was, like, after a few years it was out, got a copy of it, and I was just, like, going through films just to watch, mm-hmm. and I came across that, but it wasn't the first Paul Thomas Anderson film I've watched, I think it was, like... Uh, I think I watched Meg no, um his first one first and then there will be Boogie Blood Boogie Nights? No, um, Or was there one before Heart eight. Heart oh, eight Heart Eight Eight uh, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, but yeah, no, there will be Blood, it's great. Um it's like probably the most
0: quotable film.
2: And ever. that score is yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Johnny, Johnny, Greenwood Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead. Yep. yep.
0: Coming in with, I mean, this pretty much kickstarted his orchestral career. Yeah. Um, he's Frequent
1: P.T. Anderson collaborator.
0: Absolutely. Um, I know he's going to be scoring his new film. Yeah. Um, also with Daniel Day Lewis. Yes. Yeah. Also with Daniel Day Lewis. Uh, something I always like to point out about There Will Be Blood is that the first 15 to 20 minutes of this. No dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. No dialogue. But it you is don't all notice. New... You're not like,
2: it's so silent.
0: Yeah. It is, it's everything but dialogue, it's purely visual and auditory storytelling. Um, And you're just putting together who these characters are right off the bat with what you're seeing and how they're reacting to everything. And um, as as ever, Daniel Day-Lewis disappears into the role. He's just he's not even he's He's not not even even Daniel Day-Lewis anymore. Terrifying. It's uh, it's a fantastic film. Um and the cinematography if you want to say anything about the cinematography Adam it's it's beautiful. Well, I don't want to disappoint everyone. But I, <laughs> no, I did enjoy it, but I
3: was like really um I I feel like I think I've only seen it in entirety the first time once um in theaters but I saw a double feature with oh. No Country for Old Men and that f- completely overshadowed and I went in with like a really high expectations for um, there Will Be Blood. Which one did you see first?
1: Because <sighs> I probably colored it a little yeah. bit. Yeah,
3: you know. Um, I think I think I saw There Will Be Blood first, actually. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I love Paul Thomas Anderson, mm-hmm. um, and I love Daniel Day-Lewis. And the performances were great, and I like Westerns. Mm-hmm. So I think I had, like, I don't know why. I
2: had, high hopes. Yeah, you know, high and hopes. In,
0: in terms of Westerns, like modern Westerns, mm-hmm. you couldn't pick a better double feature, yeah, really, for that well, time. Yeah. Uh, no Country for Old Men, which um, does not make it onto this list, oh, wow. which is very strange. Yeah, Any, um, Anything
2: by the Coen brothers on that?
0: Yes. Uh, they went with Inside Lewin Davis. Oh, okay. Oh, which that's is, a really good which one. Which is, yeah. is a really great movie, and it's uh, a movie with It's one of those movies which I would say has no plot. Yeah. There's no plot other than he's just trying to survive. Yeah. It's about a musician just Trying to survive and in this setting. Yeah, he's yeah. <laughs> it's one of those yeah, it's a movie where the main character, you're not supposed to like him mm-hmm. necessarily, but you are rooting for him. Yeah, so you yeah. have this weird like You're just suffering conflict. alongside him. Exactly. You're you suffer alongside him and you're just like, Wow, he got this girl pregnant and then he lost that cat and his <laughs> music is like not as good as it could be, and he's just Aging, but and, they justify you know. that that cynicism. You're like,
2: yeah, yeah, he just keeps getting screwed. <laughs> yeah, the system, man. Yeah, and yeah. but you're
0: but you're you end up cheering for a guy who is super flawed, yeah. as we all are. And uh, I think it taught, maybe it teaches us a little bit about how to love other human beings despite their flaws. Is that you have to cheer for the, uh, you have to cheer for the human spirit.
1: Yeah, it can't Even, always be about a paragon of like virtuosity.
0: You know, true. True. But honestly, between those two, if you had to if you had to put um, either No Country for Old Men or Inside Lewin Davis into that list, which would you have picked? Anybody.
2: I mean, I'd
4: say Inside and Davis. Yeah, I, like I really like the scene with um, when they're recording in the studio. Yes. with Adam Driver. Uh,
2: oh, yeah. Like, Uh-oh.
4: I think that made the film. So Outer
1: space.
0: space.
4: <laughs> that was really
0: great. Um, I, I think I'd take Inside Lewin Davis. Inside Lewin Davis. The scene I'm where she's like on the bench
2: telling him that she's pregnant. I love that uh, one. Newsflash: You haven't seen no. Inside and Davis? Whoa! And I recommend. You would love. It. It. When did it come out? Um, I think
4: 2013
0: 2012 or
1: 2012 2013. Uh, yeah, something like that. You'd love where. it. I think I was in Colorado. I can't remember. Oh. It lost They don't actually. have movies in Colorado. <laughs> it lost yes. to Frozen, I think, for a for an Oscar okay. for best song. Oh, wow. They did yeah, they dude. submitted Hang Me,
0: I think. Off no, that. they did Please Mr. Kennedy. Oh, okay. It okay. was Please Mr. Kennedy. And they lost to Let It Go. Wow. If I, I mean remember I don't correctly. I don't blame them. That's a great song.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I love that scene too because they do the the run through and then it's like, <laughs> who wrote this yeah. shit? And he's like, I did, man. Why? And they had to go right into yeah. it, yeah, he's
4: so ungrateful yeah. for his break. Yeah, and I, I really like Oscar Isaac. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, he's yeah awesome.
0: fantastic. Yeah. But when it comes to the Coen Brothers, it's really it's really hard to pick just one movie to put into mm. that yeah. canon. Have you
4: guys seen A Serious Man? Yeah, no, no I haven't. That, that's
0: really good too. And that's yeah. another that's another 21st century film. Oh, nice. Yeah, nice. But, um, yeah, Serious Man is. You could, uh, Yeah, it looks like they just had to pick one, and they're just like, yeah. well, you know, inside Lewin Davis, you could probably do worse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Another one that I think is interesting to talk about is at number eight here, and we're kind of just going all
1: over yeah. the list yeah, yeah. at this point, uh, Boyhood by Richard Linklater. Okay.
2: Oh, man, I haven't seen that. Yeah, I never saw it. No. Oh, wow. Familiar
1: with the, what they did to make the film. Right. It yeah.
0: shot over a 12-year period. Yeah and um it basically it was him uh have you guys seen the before trilogy or any like before sunset yeah before midnight so richard linklater who i would say most people know from school of rock um, (laughs) (laughs) um, he kind of does he keeps experimenting with his whole like no plot thing where he's just like i'm just gonna see what characters do i'm gonna write what characters do and try to emulate real life as much as possible and i would Say, Boyhood is probably the um, the pinnacle of that vision.
2: I wish I'd seen it, man. My favorite is still Bernie. Oh, Bernie! It's I so love awesome. that movie Jack so Lech. much. Jack so Lech. underseen, Not and that people. song that he sings in the car yeah, it's like my favorite song now. Um, getting
0: into animation here, we've got two inter- two great. Um, entries into this list for animation. Uh, We've got Spirited Away, which is... One of my favorite movies. Yeah. You kind of have to. Yeah,
4: right? I like um, My Neighbor Totoro
0: more. More? Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
4: yeah. I don't know. Something about that film is just...
0: Like, yeah. yeah and if it, it, luck luckily for totoro that could be in the best of the twentieth century because yeah, yeah. that's an back in it's weird to think that came out in eighty eight really? Right. really yeah nineteen eighty eight was real. when that was originally released. Wow. I think that might have been Japan only at that point but okay. um yeah uh spirited away is usually the go to for greatest animated film of the last what you know few decades yeah um but if you're gonna, are you guys Miyazaki people? Yeah, uh, like, absolutely. Like, yeah, I, um, not much of a Miyazaki guy. Adam. I haven't really Sorry. seen anything. No, <laughs> don't um, worry, we're not, we're only judging you a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I think growing up, like, I had an older
4: sister, so we'd watch uh, Kiki's Delivery Service, oh, and like yeah. that's just like, and I, you know, it's funny. It's like I think younger like dudes at my school would make fun of me, like uh, that's a girl film, mm. but it's it's not like if you if, girl if, film, yeah. It's just I think what does when, that even mean? Yeah, high school. Boys. I think when you're like in, when you're younger, people are just like because. Uh, people that I grew up with, they weren't really into cinema. And, like, it's weird because, like, I appreciate animated films more as I get older. Right. And, yeah, because, like, before I would just watch them as, like, background noise or, like, oh, because it's cool in the colors. Um, but, like, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's no. cool in the it, colors. colors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, it, it's funny because, like, um, I'm really... Specific of what I show my kid because like, I don't want to mm-hmm. like um, like I remember people were asking me at my old job like are you going to go take him to see Boss Baby I'm like no like, I'm not <laughs> he's going to gonna be watching Apocalypse Now Redux yeah yeah, yeah. yeah yeah
0: exactly but like yeah I don't know um,
4: this but... is why
2: capitalism is bad
0: <laughs> but I get I get what you're saying um, with animated films appreciating with age and you kind of realize how deep the best animated films go like Spirited Away yeah. I mean their their themes. And that movie that just, that are just timeless, and you think about it as an adult, think about it as a kid, and it's, it is proof. It is. Concrete proof that movies for children don't have to be stupid. Yeah. Mm. Children are not dumb. Yeah. They need to, they're learning. And they shouldn't be treated, though. Yeah. <laughs> they really shouldn't. Um, they should not be treated like they're stupid. And that's why Hayao Miyazaki is uh, a master of what he does, is that he's like, kids are incredibly emotionally complex. You just have to speak to them in their language. Yeah. And I think uh, Spirited Away really does that. But I have a personal beef. With the lack of Mulholland Drive. Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, we were talking about this a little bit off off the mic. Uh, where is it? This is arguably the the best David Lynch film. A lot of people, this is where they saw David Lynch for the first mm-hmm. time if it wasn't um, like Eraserhead or maybe Twin Peaks. Yeah. Um, what is that, What are everybody's feelings on Mulholland Drive? It's one and of maybe, those funny you know, films,
2: like every time I see it, you know, a scene will start and i'm like i have absolutely no like recollection of this scene being in the film like it doesn't even seem familiar because it's so not random but it is like that dream logic where the scene doesn't necessarily come because of something that happened immediately before or immediately afterwards it's just there part of that tapestry like the scene where they the the, the um the the housekeeping woman gets like shot through the wall. Oh yeah, I yeah. love yeah. that. Always love forget that. about that scene yeah. until yeah. it happens. And it's so funny. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so, so hilarious. Funny.
0: And she's screaming. Yeah, and he has to like try and choke her, and she's wrestling him yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the the, care, the janitor <laughs> sees him, and he's just like, call, "Yeah, call I'm the hospital. Right. <laughs> <Call Yeah. him." laughs> <laughs> she's hurt bad." <laughs> oh, uh, but uh, yeah, the dream logic, um, it's. It's just so it's so David Lynch, yeah. and, um, and it's a great movie to show people if they're not familiar mm. with his stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, apart from maybe uh, Blue Velvet, the, yeah, it, yeah. it has the most. It's the most digestible. Hmm. Um, I would say Eraserhead is the most David Lynch David Lynch film. It's his first one, and it's just like if you want to get where this guy is starting out from, mm-hmm. watch Eraserhead. But if you want to watch something that is a little bit more palatable, less horror. Sort of, um, and ev- I think everything he does has elements of horror. Oh yeah, it.
2: the guy yeah. behind the dumpster. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. horrifying. Yeah. And then you uh, the see it, s- you saw it, like slow it down, and you watch, and you're like, "This is silly." Yeah, <laughs> but the build up to it is horrifying. Oh yeah, yeah.
3: But Lost Highway, I mean, with uh, <clears throat> that's my favorite. I mean, that's for my sure. favorite. But like, uh, Robert Blake. Yeah, yeah. Like mm-hmm. Robert Blake's playing. <laughs> like a maniac and he's really a maniac yeah. <laughs> so like a,
2: and they're like let's put you in whiteface so that you seem crazier
0: yeah so
2: uh, yeah no mole. and Gary Busey's in it we all forget god oh, bless remember, remember when he like wakes up and he's out of prison suddenly and then he's oh, okay. like at home and his dad oh, is yeah. Gary Busey oh
0: yeah oh yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> so oh, I wanna I wanna Marilyn throw Manson this was out Marilyn Manson's in that too Marilyn Manson's in at Lost- the end when they've got oh, those projections yeah. on the wall
2: he's like in those films good lord yeah good job layers man
0: layers to this one so i want to throw this out to all you guys um and i know it's off the off the cuff but just give me your best answer i want to go around uh what is your favorite film of the 21st century connor if you want to start us off oh
1: man um well now i'm getting thrown in the spot i feel like i'm gonna go back and kind of not agree with myself future you note to future google, self you can't google but uh, <laughs> just right right off the bat I gotta say uh, my favorite has gotta be one of the Lord of the Rings films sure. That's got to be in there. I would say you could even say all three of them as one single word. If I if can you count it to. as Lord of the Rings, as I would. Tolkien intended it, I would. then uh, there you go. That the extended
2: mine. like five-hour cuts? Uh,
1: okay, so if you actually want some timestamps, I've, I've got that encyclopedic. Okay. <laughs> I've got that on call. So the last one is four and a half hours. Oh, The wow. second one, and we're talking specifically extended here, the only way to wanted them. Uh, <laughs> the second one is clocking in at about four hours and six minutes, and then uh, the Fellowship of the Ring comes in at a cool three forty five. Cool. Yeah. Nice <laughs> and brisk. <at> <laughs> yeah. So that
0: Lord mean. of the So the Lord of the Rings, I would say you could call it all one film if you want.
1: Cinematic achievement.
0: Yes. <laughs> true. All right, Nick. Um I it has to be between
4: because I like uh, I like Inherent Vice, uh, Paul mm-hmm. Dunn is, yeah. like not too long ago. Because um, I saw that like about like ten times in the theaters. At first, I I didn't hate it. I just didn't get it at all. And I think it's just one of those films that you got to keep on watching and sure. it starts connecting. Okay, because um, um, I've seen
2: it once and I hated it. But yeah, I should oh, probably it. I, I
4: honestly recommend. And like, it's actually like it's kind of messed up because I, I don't think he does director's cuts. And like, there's trailers with like added footage. I'm like, that would have. Been a lot funnier if okay. that I was in there. Um, <laughs> I but, remember um, that. Yeah. And like, um, it's either between Inherent Vice or Spring Breakers. I really like Spring, oh, yes. Spring Breakers. Yeah. Spring Breakers. Good one. Yeah. With
1: James Franco yeah, playing like nice. a riffraff. Yeah, <laughs> Look at all my <laughs> characters.
4: If, if you watch Harmony Kareen's, like earlier films, and like if you're a fan of him, and then you watch Spring Breakers, it's like an absolute blast. Because I know people. Um, Like, I saw it with some friends, and they had no clue, like, what Gummo was or anything that he's done. Trash humpers. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Trash humpers. And they all hated it. They were just (laughs) like, what? Like, this is stupid. Like, I think they were expecting... Because it's, like, again, like a film that doesn't really have a plot. Like, there's kind of some Things just happen. Yeah, Yeah. and it's just, like... I explained it like, a two-hour music video with Skrillex music, and, like, I don't like Skrillex, but, like, that film makes it, uh, like, um... uh, It makes it exciting. Yeah, 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 and it fits, and um, I really like uh, how he talked about like why he made the film and like when he was a kid like uh, around like he didn't go to college Um, he would skateboard a lot and like he would never go to parties so it's like kind of interesting that he made a huge film with parties happening yeah. like, constantly and like he does it really well and i I think he does that thing where he gets his cameraman and just like starts shooting everything and like yeah, and, like total chaos like throughout the whole like set or whatever but um yeah.
2: it does a really good job of making these parties that initially seem like a blast and there's yeah. like naked women everywhere and you're like, well, this is crazy and then as it goes on, you're like. So desensitized to it that everything seems grotesque. Yeah, yeah. And no. you're like tired of it, and you're like, if I see one more bouncing <laughs> set of boobs, I'm gonna throw up. And yeah. I never thought I'd say that. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
4: No, I, I agree. I'm like, uh, I saw that in theaters like at least five times. I saw
2: it the Logan like twice. Like, that yeah. did is, you know they uh, shot nice. some of it on this camera, the really? digital Harajuku? Wow. Yeah, they I shot never. the like the the stuff that looks like eight millimeter oh, stuff okay. Okay. on that. That was part of the reason oh. I got this camera. Nice, very nice. All right,
0: Mr. Holcomb.
2: Well I wish I could pick something more artful or avant garde, but I gotta go with Zodiac. Oh but oh, Zodiac great. Yeah, that's yeah. an awesome movie. I think I watched that like once a year. I saw it in Dublin and I was with a friend and he just like walked out halfway through. He's like, I'll meet you at the pub and I was I was I was really into it. But I think as I watch it, I appreciate it more and more and more. And the way that it deals with time and this growing sense of existential dread—like yeah. your life is running out, this project you've been working on, there's no end in sight. You've you've burned everything to the ground around you in pursuit of this truth that may never. Happened. And that's
1: interesting. I was going to, I wanted to ask when you went in to see the film for the first time, did you know that it was an
2: unsolved case going into it? I don't even know if I knew much about the Zodiac, really. I think yeah. it may have been my introduction to it. I kind of mm-hmm. had sort of lumped him in with a lot of other serial killers in my mind. Like, I saw summer of Sam, I thought it was a similar story. I thought it was something that had an, a definite an ending, end, yeah yeah, and but it just
0: doesn't yeah.
2: yeah, and I just love how this guy is so obsessed with putting the puzzles together and it gets more and as it gets more and more complex, people view him as crazier and crazier because there's got to be a simple explanation
4: yeah
2: i don't know, I feel that way sometimes when you're slogging through a film, you know like that 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 those few months between the time you're done shooting and the time that the film comes out it's just you I, I don't know Nick do you edit your own stuff yeah, yeah so it can feel like that if it's not clicking and it feels like it isolating. may never click yeah and you're just working on something that no one Believes in yet because they haven't seen anything come from it, and maybe there's certain things in your life that fall by the wayside. And if if it went on much longer, you know, you could burn your whole life to the ground. A
0: hundred percent. That's a great choice, a fantastic choice. Zodiac as a metaphor for filmmaking. Yeah, they're interesting. All right, that's it's actually my a- okay. thesis.
3: Yeah, I'm like. Everything's sore. I'm trying to figure out w- if I could pick one. You have
0: to be clever about this. Well, you. Oh, can, no,
3: I, I'm already going to.
1: Yeah, no, I have a clever one. You have to make up for your but I think I know like I'm yeah, going like, to write it down and yeah, see if I'm, I'm right. I'm.
3: So, yeah. Do it.
2: Well, uh, I will. Okay. So, I'll uh, because
3: I know this, I was trying to think if Punch Runk Love was in the '90s or no? That 90s. was 2002. Okay, that's one of my favorites. Just the use of sound, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, is yeah. insane. The score is great too. Yeah. yeah, and then like someone who is like very anxious and like right, in my head, song. like I've never seen s- that being able to capture in such a like a terrifying way. Right. Um, What a performance from Adam
0: Sandler. I know. (laughs) Like, who would have ever thought he would give one of the most emotionally devastating performances of, like... Ever. <laughs> and
3: that's like a, also like, I feel like it's a almost a guilty pleasure because I mm-hmm. don't want to admit that that's <laughs> yeah. like, but um, but one thing that I keep coming back to is uh, Tony Manero, which is a... Yes. Have you seen it? You no, know, I, I, okay. I've heard of it. Okay. But like, that's yeah. the
2: Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. Yes. It's a guy
3: in Chile who's obsessed with Saturday Night Fever and he goes into a competition, uh, but what this director <clears throat> who did another film after it called Postmortem, same actor, like amazing like what I really like about it is that he has like the backdrop is like in, in uh, it's Pinochet I think he's just like there's an uprising against Pinochet there's all this stuff swirling around but this guy it takes he only, place in the seventies, right?
2: Mm-hmm. And this guy only cares about Saturday Night Fever. And he <laughs> But he'll be like walking through yeah. scenes where people are being like murdered in the side of the street by these like government forces and yet he's like And the BGs are playing in the back yeah, he, like, <laughs> focused on his like you know, tuxedo and all this right. stuff. <laughs> wow. And then it's so weird because like they um
3: so much of it's just him performing preparing for this big like audition basically it's like this um tv show or it's like a reality sh- not reality show, but they're gonna pick like the top you know tony monero uh and so when you finally show him performing it's just all a close-up on his head and you don't really need- yeah and it's like but it's great like it's just it's just all about him and it's like terrifying yeah, because he
2: he doesn't seem to be having fun. No, at not, all. No. It's like a ritual, like thing that he's like got to do, and it's like he's like punishing himself or something. Mm-hmm. It's very yeah. heavy, like obsessive about the yeah. Saturday night. Because when fever. he told me about it, I was like, "That sounds hilarious." Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, "Oh, but it's it goes deep." Yeah, and I'm like, "Oh my god, this is really horrifying and emotional." Yeah. So, Tony
0: is called Tony Monero? Yes. Okay. Keep an eye out for that. I, I've heard of it and I I heard the concept. And I was like, I, what is this? So yeah. now I have to, I will seek that out. I'm definitely going to see that out because I love Saturday I was, Night. I was people. wrong. <laughs> yeah, me too. Well, Paris, Texas is from the '80s. Oh. Yeah. Come on, now. <laughs> That's
3: my favorite. Yeah.
0: yeah, Paris, Texas is great, but unfortunately, not eligible for the list.
2: <laughs> I forgot about the that rules. Ninety-one.
0: I 80, don't know. I know it was. It's famously, right. um, Kurt, it was famously Kurt Cobain and Elliot Smith's favorite film. I, yeah, Two I dudes that. who yeah. killed themselves. Yeah. If you believe the. Uh, the, uh, the government. We're not going to get into <laughs> that. Really. Um, all right, my favorite. I'm going
3: to kill myself. So. I know. When I first watched
0: <laughs> oh it, God. I started worrying about you. You're, oh, yeah, it's a super depressing film, But uh, and I'd love to talk about Vim Vendors at mm-hmm. some point. But um, I'll just throw in my two cents, my favorite of the 21st century, and I feel like this will change at some point, but really, it's uh, for the longest time, has been In Bruges. Oh, oh, yes. no. oh that's yeah, that's nice. Good I one, love you know. In Bruges. Probably one of the best crime films ever made absolutely hysterical and the
2: genre seems to constantly change yeah it's funny but it's heavy too yeah just uh colin farrell probably the
0: best colin farrell performance of all time yep and i loved him in the lobster oh my uh, god yes
3: i just thought of it i was like that should have been my pick
0: (laughs) (laughs) the lobster is great um and i would recommend that but if you really want to see colin farrell in top form in bruges um and then who's Just the so actor? I, I only know him. I always uh, say Mad-Eye Moody. Oh, Brendan Gleeson. Oh, yeah, yeah. Brendan Gleeson. Yeah, he's fantastic in it. Ray <laughs> Fiennes
1: was yeah. like yeah, the he's... most ridiculous uh, <laughs> villain. Like boss. crime boss. Yeah, yeah is it... I love the uh, shootout in the hotel lobby where it's like <laughs> uh, one guy's up the stairs and then there's like the pregnant concierge desk lady yeah. and she's just like hiding yeah. there.
2: Yeah. And they have to let her out. Oh, it's it's so hysterical. Great. I love that scene where they're outside that tower and there's those like really fat Americans. Yeah. It's like, like you're like, a bunch oh, of <laughs> elephants. Yeah. You, know. yeah. you probably Chase won't him fit him. up there. Yeah, <laughs> And then he off. starts <laughs> chasing him and he's trying to like run after him. <laughs>
0: so, oh my and God.
1: He's like taunting him right <laughs> he's
0: running, he's like oh boy so yeah those are our favorite films of the 21st Great century pick, so Tom. far So thank you so much. We're going to have to cut off here because we are we are out of time. Uh, That is our after credit sequence, and that is going to do us for uh, No Coast Cinema episode five. Episode five, we made it. (laughs) The Empire Strikes Back. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Imagine if we released it four five six, and then went back and did one two three. How great would that be? That'd be smart. It'd be super smart. Uh, Thanks, guys. Uh, If you could, you know, Adam, Dave, if you could tell us. Um, where we can find all your stuff from Soft Cage, how we can see it, where can we watch the screening of uh, Graffito?
2: Oh, yeah. So Graffito is going to be at Cinema Obscura on June 19th um, at Township near uh, California and Milwaukee intersection. Um, we've got a bunch of other screenings coming up um, of various films, including our latest breaking. Um, you can find information at softcagefilms.com. we got a Facebook page. I think... We have an Instagram that nobody knows no way, how to use, no. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, also we got a YouTube channel. We throw up all of our documentary stuff. Um, we try to have like a quick like twenty four hour turnaround in those things, so they're like mm-hmm. journalism.
3: Yeah, we do uh, a series called Activism Now, so it's a lot of the rallies and stuff that's going on in Chicago.
0: Very cool. Very cool. And Nick, where can we uh, see Chicago? Where can uh, we follow your work?
4: It's uh, screening with David's film, um, again, uh, Monday the 19th, uh, I think at 7 p.m.? Yeah, 7 p.m. Um, at Township, uh, part of uh, Cinema Obscura. Um, you can also watch it for free online. It's on Vimeo. Just look up Chicago. Um, also, the Facebook page is just Chicago. You can look it up right on Facebook. I'm still working on a website. I just, I'm not too. Uh, What's your next seven. film called? Oh, uh, it's a long title. The uh, the art of sitting quietly and doing nothing. Cool. Oh, we're actually nice. shooting some stuff tomorrow in the woods.
0: So, well, best yeah. best of luck to and, you. Yeah. And, uh,
4: John has a little small part in it too. John
2: Davies. John Davies.
4: Cool. Yeah, ah,
1: really nice. playing himself. Right. Himself basically. Nice. I guess. Nice.
2: Like curating a screening in the woods.
1: <laughs> Shit talking <laughs> Alien Covenant. <laughs>
4: yeah. Oh, was he? Well, I mean, uh, not really. I, you know, I had a small discussion with him about it. I liked it. I thought. It was,
0: we'll have to get him back yeah. on and give him a uh, give him a tongue lashing <laughs> all right so nick david Adam, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it, uh, and we will see you at the movies. All right, everybody, this has been No Coast Cinema here on WGM+. I have been your host, Tom Hush, joined, as always, by Connor Cornelius.
1: Thank you very much, Tom.
0: I'm so glad we get to do this every week, and we're so glad that you all can join us. If you want to learn more about the show, head on over to Facebook.com. And just search, yeah, just search. If you've heard of it, if you've heard of Facebook, uh, <laughs> give a little search for NoCo Cinema, and you can like us there. You'll get all the updates about what's going on. You'll get every new episode every single Monday, and uh, we'll also be sharing stuff from filmmakers we've talked to, uh, cool events that are coming up. NoCo <laughs> Cinema on WGM Plus. Good morning, good evening, and good night. It's an inanimate f***ing object. (laughs) You're an inanimate
1: f***ing object. (laughs)